0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground.
1: Welcome, everyone. Nice to see you tonight. So, we've been looking at what we call in Buddhism the five hindrances. Most of you have heard this, but it's one of the important maps. And like any conceptual map, it's Real relevance or purpose is to actually take it out and use it. So we look at this teaching and it should help us understand our own mind. And if it isn't helping us understand our own mind, maybe put it aside or maybe check and see if you've actually learned it correctly. Okay, What was that map? What did the Buddha say about the hindrances? And so we could have organized all the different things that flog up our mind, disturb our mind, weigh down our mind, any number of ways. The Buddha organized it in terms of five tendencies of our mind. Our minds get caught up in greediness, wanting something to happen. Our minds get caught up in aversion or fear. Our minds get caught up in dullness, restlessness, and doubt. So we'll keep with this topic for at least a couple more weeks. And so you might just have radar for the different ways your mind is being disturbed, being burdened, and weighed down. And just see if this categorization makes sense. So to look at, get interested in what's going on. Okay, is this subversion? Is this greed? Is the mind dull? Is it restless, full of worry? Or is it caught in doubt? And then the question is, that label, you know, so you're taking this conceptual information, oh, doubt or restlessness, does it help to directly, immediately illuminate the actual experience, like what the mind is doing, and to be, see better how that disturbance is a disturbance? Because there's no going beyond the different afflictive qualities of mind without understanding them thinking that things go away on their own. I mean, it's true that things do come and go due to different causes and conditions, but we're completely vulnerable unless we start learning, well, what is it that this mind does that causes it to get caught in fear, causes it to get caught in greed, causes it to get caught in impatience and irritation? We have to really understand the lawfulness. And... On Monday night at the Buddhist studies class, we're studying right effort because it fits in with samadhi, the steadiness of attention, this relaxed and clear and steady presence. And it's all about right effort. In fact, the Buddha described this whole path as a path of effort. But it's not a kind of muscular effort. It's really an effort to be wise. So the first effort to be wise The first movement, and this really relates not just to restlessness, which I'll talk about tonight, I talked about it a couple weeks ago, but I want to say a little bit more tonight, but all the hindrances, just taking care of our mind, even in that most general sense, we need right effort, and the first step is to be able to cut through our thought about, like, let's say our mind is disturbed, and we don't even know how it's disturbed. We just know my mind's all over the place or it's having a hard time today or it doesn't feel good. And the first thing before we can be skillful with our mind, we have to cut through the story that my mind's all over the place and we have to see the mind in and of itself. That's why we train like mindfulness of breathing That's why we train with something simple like the breath or mindfulness of the body sitting or mindfulness of walking or just being present with any of these basic activities of life because we're training this first effort is to cut through our thought about the breath and simply know breathing in as an actual immediate experience. And the thought I'm breathing in is not the same as the experience of breathing in, the physicality of breathing in. Right? So we have to cut through the thought I'm breathing in and the thought, oh, this isn't a good breath or why can't I be with my breath and just know the breath coming in and just know the breath going out. And this is the same with any of the hindrances, any of the tendencies of our mind that disturb it, that cause it problems. We have to learn how to see it in a phenomenological way. It's just something being known. It's not about me one more time thinking that I'm a little depressed today or I'm a little restless today but actually seeing the activity that we're calling restlessness not the mind's interpretation or the conclusion the mind has that I am restless or that I am my mind is dull or that I have a lot of greed right now but what is the activity of greed or greeding you could say you know wanting wanting something to happen. What is that activity in and of itself? So that's a particular effort. And that effort to see things in and of themselves immediately starts to steady the mind because the mind is just less under the influence of its thought about things, thoughts about things. And then we can make the effort to have a continuity of awareness. So first seeing things in and of themselves and then to have that awareness of things in and of themselves continuously for a while. So again, in terms of the breath, it's one thing to just know the physicality of breathing in in a moment. But if we can sustain that mindful awareness of the breathing process, we learn something about the body, about breathing. We learn that it's a natural process, that it's happening on its own. We learn that it's changing. We learn how impersonal the breathing process is. Like, it's not really accurate to say, I'm breathing. I mean, we do that conventionally speaking, but when we see it in a continuous way, we can say, there is breathing. That's the more accurate way to say it, not that I'm breathing. But that's an insight that arises when we have a continuity of mindful awareness. Mindful awareness is seeing things in and of themselves, not in terms of our ideas, but in and of themselves. So the same thing with restlessness as one of the hindrances. One of the five ways that our mind tends to get burdened. We get caught in restlessness because we don't see it. So first we have to recognize restlessness in and of itself. That's an insight. When you see restlessness for the first time in and of itself, <clears throat> it's surprising. Because almost immediately what happens when there's restlessness is we're in the story that restlessness is compelling us to think. Like, i got to do everything on my to-do list. Or why didn't I do everything on my to-do list? <clears throat> How am I going to get through tomorrow without all this stuff done? How can I get out of this crazy life I've created for myself? So that's the expression of restlessness, but when uh, we get lost in those kind of thoughts, meaning we take those thoughts personally, so we're not aware that there is that thought. In a sense, we are that thought. We are that thinking activity. That's what appears. What appears to be true. But in any moment when there's enough, you know, the right effort, and it's not a muscular effort. There is this capacity to just notice, oh, this is what restlessness is. This is how it feels in the body. This is the activity in the mind. It's just this tendency of mind. And it's like this now. And then if we can sustain that awareness of restlessness or irritation or greed or dullness or doubt, so any of the afflictive habits of mind, the sustaining of the awareness then we really learn something about something like restlessness, right? Because if we can sustain the awareness, then we're going to see how it is that it arises and how it is that it ceases. What is the mind doing that's feeding the experience of restlessness? What is the mind doing? When restlessness goes away, what is the mind doing? How is the mind relating? I mean, think about how many times we've been greedy, irritated, angry, fear, fearful, fearful dull, restless, and full of doubt. Where did all those afflictive experiences go? They were there, but if they didn't go away, it would be very crowded in our mind right now. So they've gone away, those many, many, many thousands of different afflictive experiences. But how many times was there that balanced, clear, steady attention when an afflictive state ceased? Clearly they've ceased. You know, we've been really depressed, we've been really anxious, we've been really all these different things, but have we seen them cease? Or have we seen it when our mind is really doing fine, balanced, happy, steady, and then one of the afflictive states comes in and we, the mind starts to get restless? Do we see the birth of restlessness? See, we can only see the birth and death of these different afflictive states when there's a continuity of awareness. That's why we train with simpler phenomena like being mindful of breathing, being mindful of the body sensations, being mindful of other aspects of our existence, is so that we can be mindful, we can have enough continuity of mindfulness that we see how it is that afflictive states come into the mind and get fed and how they get starved and then cease, pass away from the mind. You could say that this is the only way to become skillful. There's no way to become skillful with a mind, given that we have a mind, we want to be skillful with it, without observing it in this careful way. So, like in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha says, you know, we have to see the arising and the passing of phenomena. This is what he specifically says in that famous discourse, the Satipatthana discourse, where he's talking about the different ways to be mindful. He says, if restlessness and worry... And remember, he often pairs worry with restlessness, or you could say remorse with restlessness. If restlessness and worry is present in one, one knows there is restlessness and worry in me. If restlessness and worry is not present... In one, one knows there is no restlessness and worry in me. So this is that basic uh, seeing things in and of themselves. We're not judging. We're not lost in the story. There's just a simple capacity to recognize is there restlessness and worry or not? Is there greed in the mind or not? Is there aversion or irritation or fear in the mind or not? Is there dullness in the mind or not? Is there doubt in the mind or not? And then the next instruction. One knows how unarisen restlessness and worry can arise and how arisen restlessness and a worry can be removed. Right. So this is the point where there's enough continuity so now the mind begins to get, okay, oh this is how restlessness and worry comes into the mind. Because we generally assume it's from out there. It's like all these things I have to do, that's making me restless. Or the fact that I forgot to do something yesterday that I was really supposed to do and I'm worrying about it, that's making me restless. Or what am I going to say to that person? But actually, it's not that event that happened two days ago that's making us restless. The cause is right here in the mind right now. The mind is seeing something, interpreting something in a particular way, having a particular view about something, and that's the cause for restlessness. And that can be seen. And if that food is removed, then the restlessness will cease, it will end, it will go away. But that takes that continuity of attention. And then there's one more instruction then. And how a future arising of restlessness and worry can be removed and how a future arising of the removed restlessness and worry can be prevented. So how is it that we keep a future arising from arising? How to take care of this mind in a way so that these five hindrances don't arise? This is what we call full awakening. A Buddha or somebody who's awake and and wise is somebody who's living their life in a way that naturally prevents the arising of greed, anger, dullness, restlessness, and doubt in the mind. Often in Buddhism we talk about happiness in terms of the absence, like what's not there as opposed to what's there. So you can imagine, well, what, what would that be like to be like living a day or even a moment where there were no, not even subtle aspects of aversion present. Aversion includes fear, of course. Not even subtle aspects of greed in the mind. Not needing things to be other than they are. Wanting things to be other than they are. No dullness in the mind. No restlessness in the mind. Right? So, you know, restlessness is when there's energy, but there's a neurotic sense you've got to do something with it. So this balance that we're talking about, there's a lot of energy, but there's no neurotic need to do anything with it. If there's something that needs to be done, you do it. If there's nothing that needs to be done, there's that energized, bright, alive feeling, but no neurotic need to do anything with it. So that energy, that brightness that can do things is settled. It's peaceful. It's just brightness without needing to do anything. So what would that be like? That's really our job, is to sort of get interested enough in that experience that we're willing to investigate. And again, the process is to make the effort to see things in and of themselves, to see these afflictive states in and of themselves, then making the effort to sustain that awareness so you see what is it that's feeding the restlessness, what is it that can starve it. And when it's not there... What's the mind doing now? That's preventing the restlessness from entering. It's like Thich Nhat Hanh, this uh, Vietnamese Buddhist monk and wonderful teacher, says we tend not to notice the non-toothaches in life. But that's really that's very subtle but important work. So it's it's relatively easy. It's still a challenge, but it's relatively easy to get interested in the practice when we have one of these afflictive states, we have a lot of fear, we have a lot of restlessness, because it's unpleasant, and we're motivated. Okay, what what the hell's going on? Let me look. And we pay attention, hopefully skillfully, and then maybe we learn something. But we tend to be complacent when there aren't strong hindrances in the mind. It doesn't occur to us, well, what, what is going on now that The mind is so beautiful, so steady, so peaceful, so clear, so bright. What is it that the mind is doing that's preventing these unwholesome qualities, tendencies from coming in? So, in this way, there's always effort to be made, right? There's always something to learn until the mind is unshakable. Like, no matter what conditions you're in, these unskillful afflictive tendencies don't arise anymore. So as long as they're arising, we want to be paying attention, be you know using wisdom, both when the mind is doing really well, but also when it's not doing well. So a couple of weeks ago, when I first started talking about restlessness, I just mentioned. Some of the ways that uh, restlessness expresses itself. And it's nice to recognize these. It just makes it easier to go, oh yeah, this is what's happening. Because there's no learning when we're just lost in the restlessness, there's no learning. So I mentioned about what we call in this tradition yogi mind, when because of the sensitivity that practice develops, you know we become more sensitive, and then things can get blown out of proportion. Not that things are bigger; the events in our life are bigger or more intense, but the sensitivity make th- makes things seem bigger, and this can make us restless because things appear to be more intense. If you went and spent, I was. Joking this morning, you know, Orfield Labs is at the other end of the block. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records as the quieted, quietest place on Earth. Because they have, I think Bob Dylan recorded one of his early albums or some of his early songs there. But uh, now it's used mostly for commercial purposes where they test products and they need, where they need a really quiet space to, I guess, understand the product a little better. But anyway, so... They've stripped away all the sound. Now if we spent some time in that sound lab, we'd be powerfully sensitized, like especially if we were there for a day. Either we'd go crazy, or if we could, we'd walk out into the world, and we would be overwhelmed by how loud the birds are, how loud a car going by is, and everything else would just seem really intense. And it would make us restless because Everything And then if you were there, not only in the quiet, or I think Richard's here tonight, he does a lot with uh, flotation tanks. He's been doing it for a long, long time and helps train other people use those flotation tanks, which are dark and very comfortable and very quiet. And they put a lot of salt in the water so you just float. You're not using any physical effort. And you can get powerfully sensitized in those places, in a place like that. And then when you leave, everything feels much more intense and bright and alive. That's why people do things like that. That's why people go on Buddhist meditation retreats. Because in that relatively simple environment for the weekend or for the nine days or however long your retreat is, then you go back into the more complicated world and it just feels more vibrant and alive and sometimes, often even, overwhelming initially. It takes you a while to sort of become more callous. So this is one of the causes for restlessness, It's just being overly sensitive. Another cause for it is a a more background kind of uh, restlessness, just uh, something that is maybe through evolution, just genetically programmed, right? Living beings are programmed to do things. Have you ever watched wild animals? You know, they're often just doing things. No, they're, fortunately, wild animals, they don't have as complicated as a, a mind or a thinking mind as we do, and so they tend not to have as much neurotic activity as humans do. But, so they're pretty relaxed in their doing, but they're always doing. So this is another aspect of restlessness, just that very subtle, pervasive tendency of the mind to be doing things. So even though we feel pretty safe here at Common Ground, you know, on some subtle level, we're checking out what's going on around us just to make sure nobody's doing anything that looks dangerous or suspicious, right? Always wondering, like, is there, like Ajahn Arvo, this British Buddhist monk, says, you know, as a beast, which we all are, you know, we're programmed to wonder, can it eat me? Can I eat it? Can I mate with it? You know these are the things that we that just genetically we wonder about, and it's always going on that that's part of that basic restlessness and then there's the restlessness that comes, and this is why the Buddha often tags worry with restlessness. It's a kind of remorse, like, did I do it well enough? Should I have done it differently? What do people think about that? So it's uh, an uneasiness about who we are, what we've done, what people think. And we can worry, we can regurgitate our life endlessly. And that's another expression of restlessness. So these are just different ways to uh, notice restlessness. You know, just overly sensitive, and as a response or reaction to that, just a more subtle doing, doing, doing. Not It's more neutral, but it's just there, always wanting to do, finding something to do. And then kind of uh, the irritants of not having been a perfect human being or wanting to be more perfect in the future. There's no end to thinking about how you can do Monday better, Right? It would make sense, you know, if we allowed ourselves to dig into this, like we could spend all night planning Monday and we still wouldn't be perfectly planned. How should I talk to that person? What should I wear? You know, how should I do this? What should I avoid? Same thing with the past. We could be regurgitating the past forever. Also just the comparing mind, you know, just wanting to know how we stack up compared to other people. Another um, aspect of restlessness that can help us tune in because basically we're looking for little alarm clocks to ring that say, hey, I think restlessness is going on. So that's why It's nice to, and for each of us to know how it looks, how it arises for us, so that we can actually tune into it. Oh, right? Seeing it in and of itself. Oh, this is restlessness. It's just this mental phenomena that has often, most often, a reflection in the body, right? We often feel. In fact, initially, we might notice it first in the body as a kind of energetic restlessness, and then see. It's more subtle expression in the mind, but it's often the mental restlessness that triggers the energetic restlessness, or the bodily restlessness. Like, for example, you might notice that sort of restless grabbing of information, media, you know, checking things out, checking the email again, checking the news again, checking the weather again, checking in with a friend, texting them. Some of us don't really text. <laughs> But most of you probably text, <laughs> yeah. but this like we could always check like what's she doing now? I wonder what my cat's doing? People put these live cams in their home so they can just check on their pets because God knows maybe she has a hairball or something, and we'd want we'd want her be able to be there, so there's no this is a kind of uh symptom that we can. Okay, this is restlessness. And it's amazing how much release there is even in the first moment of recognizing, oh, it's just restlessness. Oh, it's just anger. This is just anger in the mind. This is just greed or lust in the mind. This is just dullness. Because that first insight, that coming out of the right effort to see things in and of themselves just to honestly, clearly acknowledge, oh, this is restlessness, is already, in a sense, stepping out of it. Right? We can't be completely identified with being the one who's restless and have some clarity, enough clarity to say, oh, restlessness is being known. So don't underestimate even that first momentary acknowledgement with any of the afflictive states that visit your mind <clears throat> Naming it, whether you actually verbally name it in your mind or not, but it's that framing, oh, this is just a mental phenomena being known. It's just a mental, emotional, physical thing, object of awareness being known. All of a sudden now, in that moment, you become a practitioner. You're somebody who is, has undertaken the training to understand their mind better. And you're not just someone being swept along by habit energy. You've entered the world, you know, it's a noble world of somebody who's actually using their mind to know the mind instead of using the mind as our habit tells us to use it, <laughs> which is like being a robot, just kind of a- on auto- autopilot. Even people who are on the path, you know. Who practice quite a bit, it's amazing how we can get caught in these patterns. I mean, we can spend a lot of time wondering how I'm doing with my practice. This is a common expression of restlessness for meditators. You know, whether we're comparing ourselves to somebody in the room or to the Buddha or to whomever, or we're comparing this sit to a previous sit, or wondering, do I really understand? And so a lot of these things, a lot of these patterns rather, have elements of aversion, elements of doubt. So these hindrances overlap. Don't try to, you know, they're not like existing apart from the other four hindrances. They're very much overlapping. Because they're just different ways the mind gets caught in a bubble. And in that bubble the tendency is to keep reinforcing the bubble because it feels so personal. So like when we are dealing with a lot of restlessness, the tendency of our mind is to want to use the mind in ways that triggers more restlessness. Like if I'm really restless, what do I do? I see a lot of things that need to be done, a lot of things that need to be worried about, a lot of things that I should compare myself to. All that feels very compelling So by picking up those activity, I'm stimulating more restlessness. When I feel restless, I feel more inclined to do that activity. It's the same with aversion. It's the same with greed. It's the same with dullness. We've talked about this. If you've been coming to these talks over the last month and a half, two months, when we've been talking about the hindrances, I've been telling, uh, reminding us, the Buddha says, it really matters what we pay attention to. Like right now, we could be paying attention to elements of our experience that conduce to calm and peace. Or we could be paying attention to elements of our experience that conduce to restlessness. This is going to be over in 25 minutes if he ends on time. I wonder if he'll end on time. So, like, we could pay attention to what's going to happen to me. Like, let's say that question arises. Now, we don't have to, the mind, the attention doesn't need to grab a hold of that thought, what is going to happen to me after this is over? But if it does, then we think something, oh, I could do this, but I wonder if it would be better, and I could, then that choice, should I do this or this after the program tonight, now, we don't have to pick that up, but if we do, and then one thing leads to another in that way. But we could pay attention to something else, like, you know, sinking in, just to be mindful that all of this activity, including the thinking mind, like wondering what I'm going to do after this program tonight, and the sound of this person's voice I'm listening to, and the sensations of this body sitting, and the seeing, all the visual experience. There could be this mindful awareness and if this mindful awareness of the present moment is charged with restlessness then that's known too because restlessness is this can uh, be seen as this energetic disturbance in the mind and body it's sometimes harder to you know like if i have pain in my knee it's like relatively easy for the attention to know that often things like restlessness they don't have a specific center to put the attention on. You know, When we're feeling sad, sometimes just the ache in the heart makes it a little easier to tune into. But restlessness tends not to be that way. It tends to be more like everywhere equally. But you can notice that. Same with things like a depressive feeling sometimes doesn't have a location. It's like everything just feels a little heavy. Right? But we can learn to. It's like the thing about mindful awareness is it can be very broad, like all inclusive. We can, you know, tune into the general flavor of this, or the attention can go into something very specific and exclude the breadth of experience. So there's both. Mindful awareness can both have a real depth or um, being very specific or it can be very broad. In the same way, like if you're listening to an orchestra, in a way you could settle back and hear it all as one thing or you can really tune in to one aspect of it. And this will help you with restlessness. Both can be Skillful means in working with restlessness it's like sometimes you want to like kick back and you're in a, in a very general broad sense you're feeling seeing the activity of restlessness and that can give the mind like uh, like a lot of uh, allow the mind to sustain awareness of the restlessness because that's the trick you can't really liberate the mind from restlessness without understanding it. And understanding it requires the continuity of awareness. You can't just in a moment see restlessness. You have to study it, which means you have to have hands off and let it reveal itself. So one way is to give it a lot of space. Give it as much space as it wants. And you might find it's really unpleasant. So you have to, really, you have to trust it's okay if it's unpleasant. You've been with unpleasant experiences before. And to neurotically think you've got to get rid of it is what's perpetuating the restlessness. So resting back, letting it move, letting it be, letting it be unpleasant, not being afraid of that is one way. Another way to get some perspective on the restlessness is to really attend to things in a very specific way. Because, you know, sometimes when we're under the influence of restlessness, we want to do three things at once. And before we've done one thing, we're on to another thing. It's caught our attention. So we demand, you know, we we use a resolve to really connect and sustain and do one thing until it's done. And with our whole heart. And so this shows, you know, this will show up another thing about the restlessness Right, because the restlessness is basically telling us, you know, all this other stuff you need to do, or, but we're countering that, and so that really, it's like, a lot of times we can't learn about something, without a contrast. So here we are asking, you know, okay, we're just walking from the car to the job to the office, or from the car to the store, and there's a lot of restlessness, and we just ask. Honey, just be with the walking. Just do this one hundred percent. And then we really feel the force of restlessness when it's not allowed, you know, kind of not given permission to do all that it's demanding to do. This is what people often feel on the first day of retreat. The two common experiences when you go on a Buddhist mindfulness retreat is really sleepy and Really agitated because you know you're used to so many, the mind is used to doing, 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 and then all of a sudden you get on retreat and you don't have your phone, you don't have your computer, you don't have your friends, you don't have your life to as an outlet for all that doing, and all you're left with is the heart mind's tendency to want to do because. Now, you know, you just have sitting and walking and eating and pooping, and that's about it on retreat. And so the need, the compulsive need to do really stands out, like you're jumping out of your skin. It's really good to see, because one of the reasons we perpetuate restlessness is we don't see how unpleasant it is. When we really see how unpleasant restlessness is, We have a strong incentive to understand it more deeply. How is it that it comes to be? How is it that it ceases? How can we live in a way that doesn't allow it to re arise? You know, one manifestation, this is like chronic with activists, is there just seems like so many problems that we should be thinking about. This is from Thomas Merton, a well known. Christian mystic from the 60s, author. He wrote, To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit to too many projects, to want to help everyone and everything is itself to succumb to the violence of our time. Frenzy destroys our inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our work. Because it kills the root of inner wisdom, which makes work fruitful. And this is why people who seem to have a lot of good intention can't always do good work in the world. Because the motivation, the place it's coming from, is often greed, aversion, restlessness. right, Propelling people into action. But to do something because we can't leave it alone or because we're afraid or angry or greedy, it, what it perpetuates is restlessness. Consumerism is restlessness. You know, it's, a lot of it, at least, is restlessness combined with greed and you know, other of the hindrances. So we really need to, if we're going to live in a skillful way and make this world a better place, We have to get interested in these hindrances because they get in the way of being skillful in the the world. In terms of practice, just a couple more points before I open it up for discussion. You know, a lot of the restlessness is driven, like I mentioned, by worry, remorse, wondering if we did something right, wanting to be skillful. And one way, one simple way in meditation practice to cut through that is just to open your eyes. Because it's, a little harder to be lost in thought when our eyes are open. So it's totally okay to practice meditation with your eyes open. It doesn't mean we're looking around, of course, but just having that relaxed gaze toward the floor in front. And it, it just, it's just so much easier for the mind to understand, well, it's just this. You know. There's just this body sitting in a room here and now. And the mistakes I made in the past or the what I want to happen in the future and all the other things that I might be spinning with, that just seems a little further away when there's this visual sense of being here now. So use that. And you can use that even when you are spinning with your eyes open, but just bring your attention to, oh yeah, common ground, Sunday night. I mean, that's a concept too, But it's not feeding the restlessness. So, if the mind is here spinning about something, then just to use that visual experience to remind the mind of here and now. Well, this is what's happening here and now. The other is to give the mind something to think about that's grounding or sobering. So, to actually pick up a particular theme to contrast what the mind would otherwise be thinking about, which would be stimulating restlessness. Because some themes are more sobering and grounding than other things we might be thinking about, right? So we could pick up the theme, you know, just interested, like, well, how's the body doing? And think about how relevant it is to feel the body. Or that things are changing. Like, okay, now it's Sunday evening. It used to be Sunday afternoon, but now it's Sunday evening. Saturday is completely gone. You know, all my 40s, that whole decade is completely gone. <laughs> I'm significantly past the midpoint of my 50s now. <laughs> you know, it's going to be just like the 40s. It won't be long but before it's completely gone. And I'm told the 60s also. <laughs> Some of you can attest to that. And now see, that's like, that strips through a lot of restless activity. Just thinking, now this is we're thinking, right? But just thinking about something that's sobering. Birth and death is sobering. The impersonal nature of life is sobering. How easy it is to Cause the body-mind stress is sobering, to fall into those stressful habits. So to give your mind, these are sort of traditional Buddhist themes, the unsatisfactoriness of experience, doesn't mean there isn't beauty and goodness in the world, it just means that we can't count on things, they're uncertain. So we can reflect on that, those limitations, not to be morbid, but just to be honest and sobering. We can reflect on change, as I mentioned, and we can reflect on the impersonal nature. We can also reflect on the beautiful qualities of the heart like loving kindness. Like just everybody I see, even the people I don't like, and it's okay not to like people, by the way, but everybody we see is actually deserving of loving kindness, even if we don't like being around them. That in a very real sense, They're doing the best they can. So we can think about that. And that also cuts out a lot of restlessness to bring to mind compassion or loving kindness. So this is just another strategy to work with it. Ultimately, we have to really see restlessness come and go. We have to see how impersonal it is. We have to be fearless with it. But we can't just do that work immediately. So we need some other strategies that in a sense, help us stay in the game with it so we're not being swept away by it, not identified with being the one who's restless. It's really the difference between, you know, when a weather system comes in, we don't identify with the weather system. We know it's just here for a while, the humidity someday will blow away, you know, or the clouds will blow away or the hot sun will change and it will be cool again. So it's the same with these different afflictive patterns. We have to remember that they come and go. And our job is to understand how they come and go. How is the mind feeding it? How can the mind starve it? Both in very practical, immediate ways, how to manage these afflictive states, but then also in the deepest way. The deepest way, in terms of words, is to understand how impersonal greed, anger, restlessness, dullness, and doubt is. Because when we see how impersonal it is, the mind doesn't grasp it. And that's how you really starve it, so that it doesn't come back. But that's a deeper insight. That takes a lot of study. So in the meantime, we, we need a whole handful of skillful means to work with restlessness. And it might be nice to hear from each other. I'm sure many people in the room have had to work with restlessness. So, we want to hear about your failures and your successes, and of course, any questions you have about the talk tonight. So, what comes to mind? Yeah, Emil. i doing something a little bit different, My I want um, to ask
0: you a few thoughts on that. I think it's a Tibetan practice called Tong Len, where I don't really identify what the hindrance is. I just recognize that I'm suffering, that whatever is going on doesn't feel very good and I try to uh, um, sit with it and experience it in my body where it, where it is and then, um, think about how all people in the world or many people in the world are experiencing the same form of suffering, whatever it is, around, and that we depersonalize it from it's just not my suffering, it's the suffering that's going on. And I find that, that sometimes helps me to get some from whatever
1: form of hindrance I'm experiencing as Yeah, no, I don't think that's specific to any of the lineages. That's just basic practice. And, you know, to put that in mindfulness terms, Emil, you notice there's restlessness, you open to it. And to stabilize that opening to it, we have to make this transition, right? Because it's taking it personally that makes it hard to be mindful of it. So, you just bring in some information. This is the kind of suffering that almost everybody, if not everybody, experiences. And I care about it. That bringing in that compassion and bringing in that big view is actually correcting wrong view. You're just correcting wrong view, which allows, is necessary to be mindful of it. So, whatever you want to call it is fine, but it's really just uh, using reflection to bring, to have a, to see it in and of itself. Because the idea that it's personal actually keeps you from seeing it in and of itself. Yeah, so no, that sounds just right. Other thoughts that come to mind? Hey, Julia. So uh, I spent uh,
0: the better part of week packing up my house um, and so I had a lot of stuff in my house and I found myself running boxes and get things packed up, and the real signal to me, I think I didn't even name it as restlessness, the real signal to me that I was a little out of control was that I was starting to talk to myself out loud, and there was a lot of conversation, and um, at that point when I started to notice that I was talking to myself, and I was like, gotta get back to that, you know, I have to do that, Um, that was the moment that I kind of just said, okay, let's go. Five minutes of meditation, just sit down and get quiet for a minute here, and um, in the end, we had just gone through the intensive, the practice intensive as well, so I was a little calmer than I might have been normally. Um, in the end, this, what you just said about the focusing on the task at hand, I had to really say, finish this room, and move, move to this room, and move to this room. It was, um, you know, and I tried to do it in a mindful Mm -hmm. Um, as I was going through it. So that was great. I have a question about um, when I came out of the intensive and I got back into my partner's house, he was extremely restless and I was feeling a sense of calm. How...
1: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get angry at them, (laughs) and of course, your calm probably was irritating to him. So he was getting angry at you, which you know. And this is how this is just a symbol of our whole world. You know how, yeah, this this dynamic. So that's a good example of the sensitivity we get. So we had a practice intensive for the two and a half weeks in June. We do it again in December. So twice a year, whoever wants in the community, we get together, and we just up the practice for a couple weeks, and then we end with a day-long retreat at the end of the two and a half weeks. Now, one of the things that can be sort of correcting is just to acknowledge the unpleasantness the unpleasantness of seeing his restlessness. Oh, that's just unpleasant. Well, I know how to be with unpleasant. I've been practicing, right, to be with unpleasant. And even like when you were running around packing up, you know, that feeling of, I'll call it being overwhelmed, but I'm, you know, I wasn't there, so I don't know what you were feeling. But let's say you were just a little overwhelmed with the whole thing of having to pack up and move. So what do we do when we're feeling overwhelmed? Well, it's a yucky feeling. So we want to stay busy so we don't have to feel the yucky feeling. So we run around a little bit more. Right? So often doing exactly what we don't want to do, you're with your partner who's a little crazy and you're kind of calm and settled. And so because of that sensitivity, his normal state of restlessness is disturbing. Well, maybe I can open to the unpleasantness of being around a restless person. Or, like you had instincts with the moving, where you didn't say these words, but probably when you settled in for a few moments, you were settling into what it feels like to be overwhelmed with the moving process. Oh, it's like this. It's really unpleasant to know or to have a sense of all this work that needs to be done, all of this being unresolved, all of this chaos. It's really unpleasant to be in the middle of this chaos and it feels like this so we have a choice I can avoid feeling the unpleasantness by being restless of course I'm the unpleasantness is still there but it's being masked by the unpleasantness of the restlessness or I can avoid the unpleasantness and just feel the unpleasantness of the chaos or the things not being done not being resolved and this is true for all of us I mean there's how much unfinished business? There's always unfinished business. It's an amazing insight that we get in little glimpses. And it's, what is amazing is that we can't sustain this insight. There is always unfinished business. As long as we're alive, there's unfinished business. Uh, my, one of my teachers, Joseph Goldstein, said when you know, he lived in a little room in the retreat center for many years, and finally one of the wealthy donors at IMS, Insight Meditation Center, paid to have a townhouse built for him and Sharon Salzberg right next to the retreat center. It's owned by the retreat center, but so he finally had his own place. Um, And uh, and then he realized that even when he just leaves it alone, like he's out traveling doing retreats, it gets dirty. (laughs) It's like there's always something to do. Life is always falling apart. There's always more to do. We always have to feed the body and then we have to evacuate the the wastes in the body. We have to breathe in. We have to breathe out. We have to clothe the body. We have to wash the body, brush the teeth. So there's always something to do. We have to take that in so that we don't in a restless way, avoid the, the very basic activity of life. You know, it's okay. It's okay that it's unpleasant. Even, even on the level of being a sensitive being, every single sound is an impingement on the mind. Every sight. You cannot help looking around the room. Every time you see somebody, your mind sort of defines it in one ways and compares it and there's nothing we can do about this sense impingement. So there's just a lot of activity that goes with being a living being. And it's a little, when we're sensitive, overwhelming. So here's a crazy neurotic thing. So what we do is we do more activity to avoid feeling the restless kind of ongoing activity of being a human being. We Create more, basically more mental activity. We think about things, we worry about things, we remember things, we fantasize about things, we hope, we fear. So we're adding more, and then we wonder why we're willing to go on a Sunday night to a place like a meditation center to hear about another way. Yeah, thanks, Julian. We have to leave it here. It's eight thirty. So just take a moment just to take a breath together, let go of the words, appreciating the teachings, all the women, all the men who practiced in the past. Now we are the fortunate recipients, it's our turn to cultivate mindfulness and wisdom and compassion in life. Do the best we can. Model the practice for the next generation. Share what we can. So may this be so.
0: This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.